Thanks, Benjamin and worship team. Got a text from Austin yesterday. He said, Davi is in labor. Could you pray for us? So I texted him this morning, and he wrote back and said at 1.10 a.m., she gave birth to a little girl, 8 pounds, 10 ounces, named Aaliyah. So praise the Lord. And then in classic Austin style, I asked him how Davi is doing, and he answered, the labor and delivery went very smoothly. <laughs> so I just want to ask her in case. It's very easy to answer. All right. Don't forget, this Saturday is the Summit Conference. It's in the current. It's an opportunity. This only happens twice in the nation. But it's an opportunity for all of our church, any of you that are involved or want to learn more about doing ministry. It's not just for people in ministry. There's all kinds of seminars. There's people coming from many, many churches. But if you want to learn more about it, there are flyers about it. It's about equipping God's people to share the gospel. It talks about Muslim ministry, interracial ministry, city ministry. Lots of great stuff. It's 10 to 4 this Saturday. You need to register. If you don't know how to register online, they can help you out at the um, guest welcome table. So be sure to grab one of these and come along, invite your friends. This morning, if you have a Bible, if you'll turn to the book of Exodus, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extras. We love to give Bibles out for those of you who are not used to reading right from the Bible, or just forgot to bring your Bible. So be sure to take one. You're welcome to keep the Bible here. Have you ever noticed that as the level of a person's importance is elevated, the harder they are to get access to them? In other words, you probably wouldn't be able to just walk into the White House and have a chat with the president. If you are part of a really big company, you would know that um, you're probably not going to get a visit or a chat with the CEO. If you go to your bank, you're probably not going to be able to talk to the bank president unless it's a very small sort of mom and pop bank. So even on a human level, we get the idea that there's access permitted, access denied. Um, even as we've grown a little bit bigger, we now have locks on the doors when we're not here, and you have to have like the little access scanner. We get this idea of access denied. Well, one of the things that the Bible teaches is that God also, because of his infinite greatness, doesn't just say to everybody, hey, come on in, just whatever you got, just bring it. You know, come as you are. Anybody's welcome. On the one hand, there's a truth to that, but on the other hand, there's a backstory. Now, God doesn't say you can't come directly to him because he's too busy. But he is telling us that we can't come directly to him for our benefit. The Bible tells us something about God that makes us recognize probably what mosquitoes teach their children. Don't just go up to a purple light. It won't go well for you. The Bible teaches that God dwells in unapproachable light which is a picture of his holiness. And so early on in scripture, we get this idea that once Adam sinned because of our corruption, 
because of our inner evil, we can't just walk up to God. Yo, what's up, man upstairs? So early on, God began to reveal this. For example, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, you may remember that story in Exodus 3. When Moses starts walking up to the bush, Exodus 3, 5 says, then God said, do not come near here. Do not come near here. Remove your sandals. Now, we all remember that. But, but before he said, remove your sandals, he said, do not come near here, for the place upon which you're standing is holy ground. Later, as he was revealing himself to Moses, he invited Moses up on the mountain, and he said, Moses alone can come near to the Lord, but others shall not come near. In the book of Leviticus, we read the story of two of Aaron's sons who decided to just walk into God's presence and offer a sacrifice. Leviticus 10 verse 2 says, Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, or to Aaron, it's what the Lord spoke when he said this, those who come near to me must treat me as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. So how does that relate to this, this idea of access to God? Well, here we are in the middle of a study of the book of Numbers, and we remember that it's a story of God's people wandering. They're worshiping and wandering, but... We're in the midst of a section where the people are having a, a, a hard time figuring out who can come near to God and on what terms. So you remember back in Numbers 12, Moses' sister and brother are like, hey, you know, who do you think you are, Moses? We could do this too. And God came down and said, no, no that's, that's not going to happen. Last week, we saw that Korah tried the same thing. Hey, I should have every right to come to God just like you should. And we saw how that ended up. So as a mercy from God in this particular section, today we're going to learn how he's going to show them, listen, let's get this once and for all. Not everybody comes right into my presence. You have to have a mediator, and I pick who it is. So let me remind you where we are in the book. The first nine chapters was God mobilizing his people. They're at Mount Sinai, and they're getting ready to go on this wilderness journey. But 10 through 19, this is where we're seeing this repeated failure. This is where... You know, they, they, they left, and they're on their way, and they just keep failing, complaining, unbelief, grumbling, wanting Moses' spot, wanting Aaron's spot. And so ultimately, we're winding this down. God finally says to them, you know, you guys are done. You're going to have to keep wandering. And, and the last section of the book will be mobilizing the next generation. But this morning, we're, we're picking up in chapter 17. And the first thing that we're going to look at is, is remember, they, they had just run up to Moses again and said, we ought to kill you. And God sends another plague, kills 14,000 people before Aaron offers an incense offering and stays the plague of God. And so in God's mercy, what we're going to see in this chapter, the first thing is that God is going to show everyone that Aaron is the one who draws near to God. He's your mediator. Don't just come running past him. Much like when Jesus said, no one comes to God but through me. Let's pray. Lord, speak to us through your words, we pray. And we thank you so much for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. And, and I'm going to invite you to follow along in your Bible today because I'm going to take a detour from this. This is a different translation. So I want us to stay with, with the the. Pew Bible translation. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and get from them a rod for each father's household, 12 rods from all their leaders according to their father's household. You shall write each name on his rod. So this was not that weird. Like if somebody said, hey, go get your rod. It wasn't a rod to spank kids. Each tribal leader had sort of a staff that, that was in his possession. And, and so God says, go take the 12, the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 leaders, bring a staff for them. But, but for that one son of Jacob named Levi, bring his son Aaron and just bring his rod. And so they, they wrote the name of Aaron on the rod of Levi, for there was one rod for each of the father's household. So they got 12 rods. Now God says, then deposit them in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. And it will come about that the rod of the man whom I choose will sprout. Now that's going to be a miracle because dead sticks don't grow branches, leaves, and buds. Thus I shall lessen, now this is the key, thus I shall lessen from upon myself the grumbling of the sons of Israel who are grumbling against me. So God goes, let's settle this once for all. I'm going to show you who is the mediator that represents me. So they lay these 12 poles, little staffs, in the tabernacle. Go home, get a good night's sleep. They come back the next morning. Verse 6 says, Moses spoke to the sons of Israel. All their rods gave him a rod apiece for each leader. Deposit the rods before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. So come back in the morning, verse 8. Now it came about on the next day that Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted. Now this is crazy. These are dead sticks. The next morning the rod had sprouted, put forth buds, produced almonds, and bore ripe, or produced blossoms and bore ripe almonds. Moses then brought out all the rods from the presence of the Lord to all the sons of Israel. And they looked, and each man took his rod. Everybody's like, I think that's mine over there, the one with all the almonds on it. No, it's not yours. So he hands it to Aaron. And the Lord said to Moses, put back the rod of Aaron. Now you'll notice he says, before the testimony, which is the box that was inside. For now, they're just going to lay this rod with fruit all over it in front of the box. Put it before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels. Now, here it is again. So that you may put an end to their grumbling against me. Now, notice that God's not doing this for his benefit. He's not, he's not going, shut these people up because I'm tired of their grumbling. He's actually doing it for their benefit. Look what it says. Put an end to their grumbling so that they should not die. Okay? God's going, look, I'm merciful, I'm patient, but don't confuse my patience for my absence. I have to pour forth my wrath at some time. So, again, we find out that God is both holy, but he's also merciful. So this was a great work of grace for him to say, look, once and for all, you've got a visual sign. If anybody says, hey, who does Aaron think he is? I want to be the priest. Just show him, okay? Now, ironically, later on in the New Testament, sometime during this period, the Old Testament saints decided that they would put the rod inside the box because we read in Hebrews 9, 4 that in the box later on was a golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, and Aaron's rod which budded as well as the tables of the covenant. 
But for now, God just showed them, look, it's Aaron. He's the one I picked. Now, as a result of that, the people start doing math. All right, God's already killed a bunch of us. We're all going to get killed. So notice their response when God miraculously puts out this bud, and they're thinking, wow. Verse 12, then the sons of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, behold, we perish. We're dying. We're dying. Moses was like, what? What happened? What? What? Would you drink poison? You get bit by a snake? No, we're dying because everyone who comes near, who comes near to the tabernacle of, of the Lord must die. Are we going to all die? Okay, well, at least I would suggest that they're, they're, they're doing a little better, right? They're at least starting to get the idea that, okay, don't mess with God. Um, it's funny how people kind of get this mixed up. My wife and I were at a restaurant, and um, it's kind of, a, it's not a fancy place. There's a lot of loud, you know, it's just lots of people shouting and hollering. This guy next to us, you know how sometimes people just join in conversation. So he starts talking, and let's just say that his language was less than stellar. Um, I think that he had had a little too much fruit of the vine or whatever beverage he was imbibing in, so he had uh, no filter. And he's gone on and on and cursing, and all of a sudden he mentions um, that famous movie, Talabaglu Nights, or whatever it is, you know, the race car movie. And I said, yeah, you know that part where he talks about baby Jesus? I said, you know, it's interesting because I'm a pastor. And the guy looks at me, his face gets all white. <laughs> and he looks, at, he looks at my wife, he goes, is he really a priest? I didn't say that, I said I'm a pastor. I am so sorry, man, I'm so sorry. I said, dude, you don't need to be sorry to me. I said, but it might be worth thinking about your relationship with God, right? So, and I invited him to church, you know what I mean? But, well, at least, well, at least he sort of like was moving in the right direction. The Bible says there is no fear of God before many man's eyes. He doesn't need to be afraid of me, but it is a good thing to go, wow, wow, I, I probably ought to think before I just do and say things. So chapter 18, though it doesn't seem connected, is actually related to this chapter because God has now said, look, it's through Aaron that you can come near to me. You don't just come on your own. You need your Aaron card, right? So now God has some instructions for Aaron. And the first instruction is this. He says directly to Aaron, which is unusual because usually he talks to Moses. He affirms to Aaron and his sons that he's going to give him the other Levites to help him. Okay, now think about this. So there's 12 tribes. One tribe are the Levites, okay? Of that tribe, Aaron is one of the Levites. And God says, all right, Aaron, you, of all the Levites, you're the priest. You and then your sons after you will be the priest. But the rest of the Levites are going to help you. They're, they're not the same as the other 12 tribes. But they need to understand they're also not the priests. Okay? So notice, notice how he unfolds this. But then he says to Aaron, he goes, now, Aaron, you've got to understand something. I'm putting the weight on you then. Because you have this privilege, Peter Parker... With great privilege comes great responsibility. Spider-Man, right? So look at verse 1. So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's household with you, you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. You shall bear the guilt 
in connection with your priesthood. And you go, wait a minute, what? What does that mean? What do you mean you bear the guilt? Well, I like how the NIV translates this because I think they, they, they catch the spirit of it, though it's not a, a literal translation. You shall bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the sanctuary. In other words, your, your job is to make sure that the wrong people don't come close here with the wrong sacrifices. In fact, he had already told him, if some stranger tries to just come and, and do his thing, put him down, right? Spare the people. Don't let a lot of people die because... So, so he's actually saying to Aaron, listen, so this is a privilege, but it's your job. If this gets messed up and the wrong people are coming in with the wrong sacrifices, that's on you. And it's interesting because in the New Testament, Paul told Timothy, when you appoint elders in the church, he said, be very careful not to, not to appoint anyone too hastily or thus you shall share in their sins. So he says... Some men's sins are quite evident. Others follow after. So, so be very careful to examine people before you put them in leadership. But again, or you're going to bear the responsibility. So Aaron's like, okay. So, but at this point, God says, but I'm going to give you some helpers. Look at verse 2. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you, while you and your sons with you are before the tent of testimony. Thus they shall attend to your obligation and the obligation of all the tent. But they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary of the altar, lest both they and you die. They shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations for all the service. But an outsider, in other words, a stranger, may not come near. So we keep seeing this phrase, who can come near? Who can't come near? It's what happens if you come near with the wrong person. So, Aaron, you shall attend to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar. Now, again, look at God's mercy. The reason I'm doing this, this is a key verse. So that there will not be wrath on the sons of Israel. You've heard me say this a million times. God does not look lightly on Burger King religion. He does not say, do it your way. Let's have a contest. Got any creative ideas? He always says, this is my way. You come to me through a mediator, through a blood sacrifice, the person that I pick. And so more than one time in this book, back in chapter 16, God told Moses, send Aaron out and offer this incense so that, in verse 46, wrath has come forth from the Lord. Go stop my wrath. So again, do it my way so that wrath doesn't fall on people. Now what's crazy is most people have no idea about that part of God. Oh, my God's a, he's just like a granddad. He loves us all. And I'm going, he does. But he's holy and he also gets angry and he hates sin. And one day he's going to stop restraining his wrath and it's going to come like a fury and an inferno of eternal wrath on all people who have not been forgiven his way. And, and so we're learning from the Old Testament that he is wrathful, but he's merciful. He's like, I'm doing this so I don't have to pour out my wrath. Verse 6. Now behold, I've taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They're a gift to you. They're dedicated to the Lord to perform the service of the tent of meeting. 
But you and your sons, Aaron, you shall attend to the priesthood. For everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, you are to perform the service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. All right? So see the flow. Chapter 17. God says it's through Aaron. Chapter 18. Aaron, this is on you now. You come my way. You bring the right sacrifice. The Levites will help you. Now, the next thing God does is he says, Aaron, how are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to get food? You, you, you can't go out and get another job. So here's what I'm going to do for you. Aaron, I have told my people to bring a tithe to me. I want you to take some of that as your gift. This will be your support. Now, this is really interesting. Look at verse 8. Then the Lord said to Aaron, Now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings, even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion, to you and your sons as a perpetual allotment. Meanwhile, he's saying to the other tribes, Okay, Jacob, or Okay, Dan, okay, Benjamin, not Jacob. Okay, Dan, Benjamin, you get this land, you get that land. Judah, you get this area, you get these mountains, you get these rivers, you get this water. Aaron, you guys don't get any land, you don't get any food. Your food and your support are going to come from the gifts of the people of God. So, verse 9, this shall be yours from the most holy gifts reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, grain offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, which they shall render to me, shall be holy for you and your sons. As the most holy gifts, you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This is yours, the offering of their gift. All their wave offerings I've given to you. As a perpetual allotment, every one of your household who is clean may eat it. Remember, who's right with me? All the best of the fresh oil, like not just, I kind of laugh at this, extra virgin olive oil. Like, how can it be extra virgin? Like, it's, it's either virgin olive oil or it's not, but extra virgin. So, you get the best oil from the people, and then you can get the best of the best, right? The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they shall bring to the Lord, shall be yours. So, if the people were doing it right, they didn't pick out the rotten apples and go, all right, well, we don't, we, instead of throwing these out, give them to God. They're supposed to take the best of their produce and give the first portion of it to God. And then Aaron would get, you know when you're at the grocery store picking through the fruit and you're like, man, most of them are bad. Like, like Aaron's got the best fruit and then he gets to pick the best of the best fruit. Every devoted thing is yours. Verse 15, every first issue of the womb, whether man or animal which they offer shall be yours. The firstborn of men you shall redeem. The firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And the price from a month old you shall redeem by your valuation, five shekels in silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 geras. Now, again, this is Old Testament. If you're not familiar with this, when God redeemed the Israelites out of Egypt and killed the firstborn of the Egyptians, he said, from now on, all the firstborn are mine, but you could redeem them. The firstborn of the ox, the firstborn of the sheep, you shall not redeem their holy. You shall sprinkle their blood and offer their fat for a soothing aroma, and their, now, now again, their meat shall be yours. And Aaron's like, yes, I don't want to have to be a vegan. This is great, right? It shall be yours like the breast of a wave offering and like the right thigh. 
all the offerings of the holy gift which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters third time as a perpetual allotment. Now, the idea of perpetual is that this will be ongoing. So then God says it's an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and your descendants with you. This is a little unusual. A covenant was an agreement. Why salt? Well, salt is preservative. So I think all the Lord is saying here is this is an, this is an ongoing perpetual promise that the way you'll be provided for you, you're set apart for the gospel. Those who preach the gospel, teach the gospel, will make their living from the gospel. But then he says something interesting, and I want to come back to this at the end. Because maybe, maybe Aaron's gone, all right, so I know, how, I know how I'll get food, but I've always wanted to have a house on a hillside, maybe just, a, just some water on my land. I'd like to have some cattle. And God's like, no, you're not going to get any land. But I'm not going to leave you hanging, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in the land, nor own any portion among them. And they're like, fine. But then he says, I am your portion and your inheritance among the sons of Israel. How would you feel about that if God said to you, you're not going to get any land like your, like your relatives, but, but you get me in a special way. I'm your, I'm your inheritance. First thing I, I comes to my mind here is, remember the story of um, Hannah when she couldn't have children, and she was so sad and burdened. Do you remember what her husband said to her? She just wanted one dear son. And he said to her, am I not better to you than 10 sons? Isn't it a blessing the Holy Spirit didn't record her answer? <laughs> right? What do you need a son for? You got me. I'm better than 10 sons. Right? So God's going, I'm not going to give you any land in this world, but in a special way, I'll give you me. So think about that. Would you, would you feel cheated there? Would you be like, I'd rather have a bird in the hand than, you know, pie in the sky. All right, we'll come back to that. So, now, God says, so listen, here's the deal. I'm going to give you and all the Levites offerings, but now, he says, lest you think you can just stockpile it all, you Levites and religious spiritual leaders, you have to tithe from the tithe that I give you. So, any preacher who says, oh, well, I, you know, it comes this way. That's what the Bible says. Need to read this passage because God's going, no, you're not excluded from giving because you're in spiritual leadership and being supported through ministry. So this is an interesting passage. So let's look at, at this section. Verse 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 21 to 24. I, I left out a whole section. God's going to give the Levites a tithe, and then we'll come to that last section. Verse 21, and to the sons of Levi, behold, I've given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service, the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent, lest they die. The Levites perform the service of the tent. They bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever among the sons of Israel. They don't get an inheritance either. The tithe of the sons of Israel as they offer an offering to the Lord, I've given it to the Levites. They shall have no inheritance. So, so God's clarifying. All right, not just you, Aaron, but all the tribe of Levi. They don't get land. They get me, and they get the tithe. But here's that section I'm talking about. Those who receive the tithe are still the tithe. Look at verse 25. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak to the 
Levites and say to them, when you take from the sons of Israel the tithe which I have given you from the sanctuary, then you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Remember, a tithe is 10%. So as you're going, wow, this is going to be delicious. Mmm, that looks like good fruit. Hold on there, sport. Everybody is to give first to the Lord, including spiritual leaders. Verse 27, and your offering shall be reckoned to you as the grain from the threshing floor for the full produce from the wine vat. So you shall also present an offering to the Lord from your tithes which you receive from the sons of Israel. And from it, you shall give the Lord's offering to Aaron the priest. And out of all your gifts, you shall present every offering due the Lord. Now, now watch this. From all the best of them, the sacred part from them, there's a real temptation for believers to give God junk, right? In Malachi, he says, what is this offering that you're offering to me? You're offering to me a crippled lamb. When he had said, give me the finest, best, spotless, pure lamb, he says, you give me a crippled lamb? He says, would you even feed that to your governor if he came for dinner? And yet, Traditionally, Christians do things like this. Uh, yeah, I, I'd like to donate a, a, a couch to the church. Um, yeah, um, the youth, we want the youth group to use it. Now, well, that's very kind. What condition it's in? Well, I mean, the cat sprayed it a few times, and um, there's a big tear right down the middle of it. But I, I thought it would be, you know, we, we didn't just, we, did, we, we felt like we wanted to give this to the Lord. Do you know there have been Christians who have saved used tea bags? to send to missionaries, right? You're like, do those bad people do that? We wouldn't do that, right? We wouldn't just squeak out a little something for God, right? We'd dig deep and generously and regularly and sacrificially. When King David wanted to buy the plot of land on which the temple would be built, the guy who owned it offered to give it to him for free. He said, no, no, no. He said, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. So I think as the people of God in all generations, we ought to think about, hey, how am I doing on my giving? Do I have to tithe for my net profit, pastor? Do I have to tithe? Do I have to, what, what, what's the least I can get away with? I can't afford that. And I'm going, are we reading the same Bible? Are we talking about the, the same son of God who, who went up to the cross and gave everything for us? So, you shall say to them, when you have offered from the best of it, the rest shall be reckoned to the Levites as the product of the threshing floor and as the product of the wine vat. And you may eat it anywhere, you and your households, for it is your compensation in return for your service in the tent of meeting. And you'll bear no sin by reason of it. When you've offered the best of it, you shall, shall not profane the sacred gifts, lest you die. In other words, don't you dare get greedy and stockpile and stop giving. You give just like everybody else. Okay, so God has clarified who comes near him, and then the ones that come near him, Aaron, this is what I've given to you, it's what I've given to Levites, this is how it works. So remember, every time we, we read the Bible, the Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for us. We, we learn teaching, correction, training, and righteousness. So we're always looking to apply the Bible. So let me suggest some applications. Number one, as we see in the Old Testament that God had put a high priest 
as the mediator who gave them access. You know this, but I want to remind you and press something home. We need to think about the fact that Jesus is our high priest, and he's the one who gives us access. And so when you're praying and you're saying, dear God, I pray in Jesus' name, all you're doing is reminding yourself, God, I have no business talking to you. I should be consumed for my sins. But because of your son, Jesus, I have access. Okay? So here's what I want you to think about. Jesus is our continual access to God. So I want you to take advantage of that. Give me, give me an example. In Romans chapter 5, it says, now that we have put our faith in Christ, we are justified and we have peace with God. But through Jesus also, we have access to this grace in which we stand. Now, I've shared this with you before, but I just want to remind you of something. If I want to get into a certain press room, I show them my laminated card. Hey, I'm, I, 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 I'm welcome here. I have access, right? By the way, I don't even have access. This is where I am on the pecking order. I can get in the building with my scanner. I can't get in the office. I don't know what they're trying to tell me, you know. <laughs> I'll be like, hey, Bob, can you let me in? Bob's the high priest. I'm like, Eat, right? So, but with God, with God, Jesus Christ is your, and it's silly, but you'll remember, he's your lamb-inated card. I think about this often when I pray. God, thank you that I have continual access to you. I can just come right to you now because Jesus shed his blood and, and, and there will never come a time where it comes up, access denied, too busy, you're not worthy. So if you struggle to pray because you feel guilty, don't think about you, think about him. He is saying, I welcome everyone who comes to God through me. So take advantage of that. Remind yourself of that. Jesus Christ has brought us to God. And so the Bible says, therefore, draw near to the throne of grace because we have this great high priest who's at the right hand of God, who's representing us. So think often in your prayers, your worship, that Jesus gives us continual access to God. But secondly, we live in a culture of affluence, right? We're not worried about, at least most of us aren't worried about our daily bread. I mean, really, give us our daily bread. So we all have a little bit of substance. But it's awful hard not to look around and see what other people have and not covet, right? Bible says, be content with what you have. But, but, but I love this idea that God says, you're my inheritance, and I'm your inheritance. Now, again, how would you feel about that? You'd be like, well, what good is having God? That's not going to give me a roof over my head. That's not going to butter the biscuit. Right? That's not what I'm going to be able to leave to my kids. I want to put something away for my kids. And God goes, I'm giving you myself. You know what? King David bogarted on this. You know what he did? He's not even a, a Levite. But in Psalm 16, he said, the Lord is my portion and my inheritance. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. So what I want to challenge you to do is say this. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, the best thing you got is Jesus. And if you're wasting your time stockpiling stuff on this level, when are you going to realize it's, a, it's, it's not, as Coca-Cola says, the real thing? 
And that car, that house, that job, that girlfriend, that marriage, those kids, that's not going to satisfy. That's not going to meet your needs. That's not going to fulfill you. So the Bible says, let your way of life be free from the love of money and coveting and all that stuff. Because Jesus said, I'll never leave you. Right? If Jesus is all you had, would Jesus be all you need? And for some of you, it might help to give away some of that stuff so that you and I might learn more of what it looks like to depend on Christ. If you're not giving anything to the Lord, how much is enough? How much do I need? Henry Ford said it this way, one more dollar. I don't think he thinks that anymore. So, rejoice. Sing songs like, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than wealth and land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain while I'm held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And there's times that you and I need to just get on our knees and say, dear God, forgive me. I'm a self-centered American caught up with the American stuff when the Lord is my portion. And I, I don't want to drive my tent peg so deeply, Lord, so if you take it away, am I going to fall apart? Or am I going to say, I'm on the solid rock. You can't take my Jesus. And you can't take him from me or me from him. Third, since God gives us his best, what would it look like for us to give him our best? We're not paying him back, right? The songwriter said, were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be a present far too small. Such love so amazing, so, di so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. For some of you, you could, you could write a bigger check for God, but that, that's not the issue. Because before God wants you to give your stuff to him, he wants you to give yourself to him. The Christian life is a gigantic, ongoing thank you note that says, because of your mercy, Lord, you spared me from hell. So now, on a daily basis, I will present myself as a living sacrifice. I'll give you my heart. I'll, I'll, I'll present myself for you to use me to be and do and go where you want me to be and do and go. That, that's discipleship. That's following Christ. But part of that involves your possessions. I was really encouraged to find out we already are owing only like 900000 on this addition. We could probably pay that off, right? Right now, we're scheduled to pay off in four years. What would it be like if we all try to up our giving, right? I'm not asking you to, if, if, you, if you're barely buying diapers because you don't have any money, but those of us who do, if, if, if you've never gotten on board to say, you know, could we give more to the Lord? You're not, we don't know who gives what. It, you're not doing that for man. It's not so Bob and I can get a beamer and, you know, get a mansion or whatever, or, or Pastor John or, or Austin can get some nicer boots because his boots are nice, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's the only guy that can get away with a business on the top and casual on the bottom, right? <laughs> only Pastor Austin. <laughs> <laughs> 
right? So, but lastly, the last thing I want you to do is turn to Hebrews 10 real quick. Since we have access to God, we have to understand that, that we have a, a, we're a corporate worshiping community. So since God has given us Jesus as, as our great high priest, he allows every one of us, if you're here today and you're saved, you're in, the, you're in the family. We have access. If you're not yet saved, don't kid yourself and think sitting in that seat's going to get you into heaven. You need to be saved from your sins. Jesus said, no one comes to God but through me. But the author of Hebrews takes this idea of access through Jesus, and then he presses it home, and he goes, this is corporate community. Because we're drawing near to Jesus, we've got to take care of each other. We're advancing the gospel, discipling each other. This is why you're like, I don't know if I want to be in a small group. You know, I just like to come and go to church and go home. Stop it. You need to be discipling and being discipled. People come to me and say, oh, pastor, I haven't been here for two months. Did you miss me? And at this point, sometimes I go, I don't even know you, right? I'm sorry. This is a big church now. There's more people. And people say, oh, I liked it better when I was little. So when it was little, so did I, but it's not for me, Right? But some of you know people who have stopped coming or who come once in a while and, and, and are on the verge of falling away. So, so notice how, and we'll close with this, the author takes this idea of access and he goes, listen, this is a, a corporate thing. So, so Hebrews 10, verse 19, since therefore we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, don't need Aaron, I now have Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Confess your faith in Christ. If you've never publicly said, I am a forgiven follower of Christ, and do it. But then, look at the corporate part. Let's hold fast our confession without wavering. So don't fall away. Don't give up. Don't quit reading your Bible. Don't quit going to church. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. See the corporate side? You don't go, I don't get much out of that church. That's not the point. A community of believers is not just for you to get much out of. It's also to start looking around and looking for people and saying, hey, let's go get coffee. Or, or hey, um, would you like to come over sometime? Or, hey, how about joining our small group? See, we're considering how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And we're not assembling, to, or not forsaking our assembling like if it's not raining or I can't go to the beach and the kids don't have sports and blah, 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 then I'll come to church once in a while. We come regularly and we get involved with one another and we do what? Encourage one another. How's your, what, how are things going? How can I pray for you? Pray for me. Listen, I'm struggling in my marriage or I'm... You know, and when we see people talking about their burdens, we open up and we share and we get to know each other. So what a great Savior we have and what a wonderful work God's doing at Riverstone Church. We have access through Jesus, so we take advantage of that. But let's, let's, let's ramp it up. Even as we close, look for somebody. Introduce yourself to somebody. Encourage somebody this morning as the people of God because of Jesus. Father, thanks for our time together. Bless your flock. Strengthen us as we grow together, Lord. May we... May we bear much fruit because Jesus is Lord of this church. Thank you for your great gift of salvation. Thank you that we have access. If there's anyone here who's not a believer, may they come under the conviction of their sin and come and talk to us and ask how they might be saved. Bless us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you on Saturday.